Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. Great friends, so you can open up your Bible with me if that's all right. I've sent uh, my slides to the partnership group. So if you are um, on the partnership group, if you might just maybe borrow a friend of yours next to you, just a bit of audio-visual stimulation there so you can follow along if you don't have a Bible with me, um, or with you rather. Um, So open up your Bibles with me if that's all right to the book of Luke. So the gospel according to Luke and the New Testament chapter 1, we're going to be reading from verse 26. Um, and on this faithful morning, I want to say, well done, guys. We have come to the end as well of our series called Jesus Uncensored, um, encountering the walking, talking, living God. As we've been asking the question, what are some of the significant moments and interactions that Jesus had in his ministry and how that absolutely transformed people's lives? And we've been saying, is it possible for us in 2019 to encounter a fresh Jesus through his spirit and his people? And I think the answer is Yes. And so today, in our 10th and final week, we want to ask the question, how do we finish off after nine weeks of looking at these interactions? And we want to finish up at the place of the announcement of Jesus coming to his mom, Mary, and the angel coming to say, this is the good news. And the reason why we want to end there this morning is because Mary, in a sense, is very much like you and me. She, up to that point, had not seen physically Jesus like you and I have not She's only received this message, this good news, and she has to now respond to that. And that's the incredible thing about her story, like you and I at this point, is the way that she responded is wonderful. And we are going to learn one or two key things about what it looks like, because the Christian faith is one that is based on the principle of God revealing and then calling us to respond. So what does it mean that God revealed himself in Christ as we end off our series? And how can you and I respond? So read with me in Luke 1 verse 26. It says the following. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. And to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign um, over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? That's the awkward question right there, posed to the angel. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the Holy, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month of her, um, for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. Verse 39. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth, the person that the angel spoke about. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt inside her, and Elizabeth, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. 
How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt for joy inside me. And blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. It's a really dense but incredible passage of scripture. And just two simple questions for us this morning. What is this revelation of Jesus? And then simply, how do we respond to it? So just asking that of this passage, what is the revelation that this angel brings to Mary out of the blue about Jesus? And what does that mean for you and I? The first thing he says in verse 32, read with me, he says, he will be great, speaking about Jesus, and will be called Son of the Most High. Now that's strange language for us, but in the ancient times when Mary lived, often people would be called the Son of Someone if they resembled them or they followed down their path or they had this deep commitment to this person, they will be called the son of this or that. So there's this very tense moment in John 8 when Jesus has an altercation with the religious beats and they call themselves the sons of Abraham. And he counters, he says, no, the way that you live, I think you are the sons of Satan <laughs> because he says you lie like Satan, you live like Satan. And so he calls them the sons of Satan. That's a harsh word. If Jesus calls you sons of Satan, you know that you are in a desperate place. But the title the angel gives to the son who would be born from Mary is son of the most high. And that's massive. That's a huge statement. And it means much more than just the fact that Jesus would be a follower of Christ. It means, and he, he colors it in by saying in verse 33, read with me, he says, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And you can imagine Mary thinking, forever. That's, what does that even mean? And so the angel kind of presses the issue and he says, his kingdom will have no end. So he's saying, I really mean forever. You can imagine for this poor, like, young woman, she's like, what are you saying? This is, this is way beyond even my understanding. How can this be? So the revelation is that this supernatural person who would be born from Mary would be someone who is not of this world. This person is going to be fully God and fully man and will reign over a kingdom that lasts into eternity. This was mind-blowing, fuse-melting like our building this morning stuff for Mary. She could not comprehend this. And therefore, he says to her, he goes on and he says, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is how this is going to happen. And so what he's saying to her is that this, this supernatural man, God, who will come through your line, it's not just that he is the son of the Most High because he will have the character of God, but because he is literally born from the DNA of God. This is literally God becoming a man. And therefore, this man who will be born from you will be perfect. He will be sinless. He will be holy and just. He will be the son of the Most High. And so this, and the last thing he says to her is, I want you to know that his name will be Jesus. And that simply means God who saves. God who saves. And what an apt title. Because every single founder of every single religion, whether it's Buddha um, or whether it's Muhammad, would all say that we have come as messengers to point you to the way. To point you to God, to the divine. This is the path you need to follow. These are the rituals and the rites you need to commit to. But from the very beginning, even in Jesus' name, 
There is this understanding that he has so set apart on the, the face of the earth, even amongst all the founders of religions, that he has not come to show us the way. He has not come to point us to truth or to life, but he is in himself the way, the truth, and the life. He has not come to show people to God. He has come as God. From the beginning, the good news was not that if you understand this man, you can go and do, but that he has come to do something. On the cross, he said, it's finished, it's done. All of that packed into this short little statement about Jesus. Can you imagine what Mary was dealing with? This is who God is promising to come from you. So much of the gospel message, the good news. But that is what this is, friends. It's not. Do you hear that this is an announcement from the angel? It's not good advice. He doesn't come to tell, you know, Mary, these are helpful steps you can take. He says, no, I want to announce something today. And there's a massive difference. I don't know if you know this, between good news and good advice. Because news is something you have to embrace. It's something that has to change you. You have to react and respond to it. Advice is something you can think about taking. You can think about applying but that's not what the angel says. He says, I come to announce news to you. In chapter 2, later, when uh, the angels will appear to these shepherds, they say this to them. Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you today good news of great joy. Do you hear that? They say, this is not a program you can apply. This is news. Something is happening. Let it change you. Let it grip you. Let it produce joy in you. You know, I think of my own life, and for how many years I did religious things because I wanted to tip the scales of my life to good enough so that God would accept me. I wanted to pretend and give this front of being a moral person because I don't want to think of myself as bad. I was putting up all these masks and thinking that people would accept me and God would think favorably upon me. And meanwhile, back at the ranch, I was filled with lies and with lusts. I was filled with dark spaces in my heart that I was trying to hide and fix in our own way. And then my friends invited me to this camp at the end of grade 11 in the Western Cape. And I sat this one evening on my knees in worship. And I don't cry very easily, but I wept that evening. I wept and I wept and I wept because Jesus, who at, you know, to that point in my life, he was a nice man. He was something, some people like my parents or other people around me, they, they gave some time to an hour on a Sunday, once every now and then. And then that Jesus became the Lord and Savior of my life. He became this Jesus. This news gripped my heart and I wept. And when I stood up from that place, I could never live the same again. To this very day in faith, I'm saying in your spirit, God, I'm reorienting everything in my life according to who you are because you have announced who you are to me. The revelation of Jesus came and I had to respond. I think of a friend of mine. He's an architect now here in the city. And uh, he studied with us at the University of the Free States. And this one evening, he was living just a life of debauchery and brokenness that's his own description, by the way. And so this one evening, he had gone to some club with his friends, and he is so drunk that he's lost his shoes. He doesn't even know where his shoes are. They're just gone. And he says, as he's standing there, suddenly it's like the LS, you know, ice bucket challenge just like pours over him. He says a conversation that one of our other friends had with him about Jesus suddenly dawns upon him in the middle of this club. 
He says he feels like literally this light is shining upon him and he stands there and he realizes this Jesus that has been revealed to me does not want to be a good practice in my life. He wants to save me, redeem me, and lead me. And he says in that very moment, he was changed. And so he caught a lift to this club that evening. He walked barefoot all the way back to his house. He went down on his knees and he prayed, Jesus, I want to know you as Lord and Savior. And I promise you, his life has never been the same because the announcement, the news of Jesus gripped him with great joy. Friends, you know why Mary, this poor, homeless, in a sense, a destitute girl from the Middle East who would be socially shamed for what was going to happen to her, you know why? She is one of the most famous people in the history of our planet. It's because she responded to what God had revealed to her. That's it. She responded to how Jesus was revealed to her. So what is that response? If this is good news, this is great news of great joy, what is that response? Let's look at that. The first thing is she considered carefully. That's how she responded. For some of you this morning, I want you to have a a, a mirror moment with your own heart and go and consider carefully. It says this, read with me in verse 29. So she was deeply troubled. This is right after the angel appears to her. She was deeply troubled by the statement that he makes. I can imagine that. Wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Now, our word they wonder in the English is a bit maltose. doesn't really give you the, the essence of what is being said here. Because the Greek word is this word, dia um, logizomai. And it's this strong word that means to consider, to deliberate, to wrestle with, to think deeply about. So Mary was not just wondering, she was wrestling at this moment. What are you saying, Mr. Angel Man? This is crazy. You see, we often, in our modern age, we think of ourselves as rational, scientific minds. So we only consider the facts. We only you know, make careful considerations about things. And so we think, we read the story, an angel appeared to a young, like probably like teenage girl. I mean, that's preposterous. Who in their right mind would think such a thing in 2019? So the implication is, if we say that, that we think people in the ancient Near East were so gullible that something like this was just, it was plain to them. You know, you would just sit 2,000 years ago at Adebrai, and angels would appear, and it's like, hey, guys, it's angels. That's cool. And hey, Mr. Angel, you know, just tell us what your message is. Bestow your message upon us, because it's an everyday appearance, right? It's just angels once again. You know, it's just so last Wednesday. No. Besides the fact that that is such an arrogant statement, that's what C.S. Lewis would call chronological snobbery. We think because we are modern people that we are more sophisticated in our hearts, but we're not. Besides the fact that it's arrogant, it misses the whole point of this text. Because Mary does not just say, oh, well, that's great. Okay, cool. No, it says she wrestled. She's like, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand. This, This is a difficult thing that you are saying to me. And why? Of course, guys, think about this. Mary is Jewish. So her conception of God is the Old Testament picture that we have of this transcended, powerful, you know, the the God of Mount Sinai is her God. To think that that God would now be born into a human being, for her that was like, I, I don't have any reference for this. How can this be? So you know what she does? She expresses an earnest moment of doubt to this angel. She says to him in verse 34, read with me. She says, how can this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? 
I mean, again, Mary's not stupid, friends. She tells the angel, do you understand how this thing of childbearing works? You need a man. And you need... She's like, we have not done that yet. So how is this going to happen? She's wrestling. She has an honest moment of doubt. Not the kind of cold clinical doubt that says, doesn't matter what evidence you give me, I have discounted a priori already. There's nothing that will convince me. No, the kind of doubt that says, this is difficult for me, and I'm going to wrestle with it. I'm not convinced yet, but I'm open to the evidence. I'm open to have my heart moved. That's the kind of doubt that the Bible actually celebrates. That's the kind of doubt that Christians should have in their life. God, I don't understand this, but I'm open to the evidence. And you know why this is such a beautiful moment? Because if not for her, earnestly, authentically, kind of, you know, raising her doubts to the angel, we would not have one of the most powerful statements in all of the Bible. Read what it says here in verse 37. The, the angel answers, For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. That verse over the last 2,000 years for millions, if not billions of Christians have probably pulled them out of some of the most dark moments of their life. People literally giving their lives over to the authorities to martyrdom for the Christian faith have found encouragement in this statement that nothing is impossible for God. Where did it come from? It came from a moment of honest consideration. I don't understand God, but I'm open. And the angel says, I honor that nothing is impossible to God. She did not just blindly accept. If you think church and Christianity is about leaving your brain at the door, this angel and Mary would disagree with you because she carefully considered. But the second thing that she did is she surrendered completely. She surrendered completely. She did not just consider carefully, but she surrendered completely. Friends, that's the truth. Somewhere in your journey with God, somewhere in your research, somewhere in your, your asking and, and struggling with what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, there will come a moment where you have to say, God, I surrender myself completely to you. You know where that moment came from for her? For her, the argument that nothing is impossible for God was actually a great one. It shifted something in her heart. You know why? The angel was in a sense asking her, Mary, do you believe in God? She said, yes, I do. And it's like he was saying, well, think with me, believe with me. If the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one who is before all, the unmoved mover, the, the greatest, the, the highest, the transcendent, the all-powerful, all-knowing God, the God who has been with your ancestors, the God who has been faithful, do you think that God can do this? And there's this moment in her heart where she says, yes. I think he can. Something shifts and she says, God, I surrender myself. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, she says. May it be done to me according to what? According to your word, Mary says. Something in her soul is shifted and she says, God, I am at your service. Can I be honest with you? How many times in my life and yours, how many people would say, yes, I want to follow Jesus on my time, on my parameters, in my comfort zone? God, I will, I will follow you. But I just have this question. Does it mean I have to stop this? I have to pick up this. I have to rethink that. I have to restructure this in my life. 
Now, I want to say those are good questions. Those are things that we should do. Even Jesus says in Luke 14 that we should count the cost of discipleship, what it means to follow him. But I think often we are not, we're not considering the cost, we're negotiating the cost. Jesus, I just want to make sure, what is this going to cost me if I follow you? And that's not the same thing. Because then we're saying, God, I want to follow you, but I want to be in control of the parameters of what it means to follow you. So if I can draw up the contract of following Jesus, then I'll sign. But that's not what we see in the Bible. You know, Abraham, when God calls him in the Old Testament, he says to him, come, leave your homeland. And Abraham says, okay, so where should I go? And he says, that's not what's important at the moment. Because I'm calling you and I want you to let go of the privilege of deciding how you are going to follow me. That's often the biggest wrestling of my heart. God, I will follow you, but I want to be the captain of my soul. Jesus, I will follow you, but I want to decide how my finances and sexuality and friendship and vocation works because I still want to be in control. And this passage challenges us because Mary comes to a place where she says, I want to surrender completely to you, God. We have to come to a place in our hearts, in a sense like Mary, where we say, God, I do not know the full implications and the details of what it will mean to follow you, but I will follow you regardless. I don't know what this is going to entail, what it will cost me, but it doesn't matter. Friends, I know the Bible says to us clearly that we should not go through life cheating and stealing. (laughs) We should not go around thieving our way into things. But can I ask you a question? What if tomorrow you put in a position where if you don't do that, you lose your job? What will I do? Because Mary's answer was, if that comes to that, I've already made my decision. I will follow Jesus. The moment I say, God, I will follow you if... I will obey you if, then I'm saying, Jesus, you are a great consultant. You are a great PA. You make great suggestions. And I will even consider some of them. But you're not my Lord and my Savior. And Mary says the way we respond to the revelation of Jesus is you consider carefully, but you surrender completely. Maybe for some of us this morning, that's where you are. There are areas of your life that you say, God, I am holding on to those things with a white-knuckle grip, and the Holy Spirit wants to just come and loosen your fingers and say, hand this over to the one who loves you more than you love yourself. Trust me with the surrender completely. Thirdly, she trusted wholeheartedly. She trusted wholeheartedly, friends. This is difficult. I will be the first to admit, holy smokes, I need to hand over my whole life to God with no reservations. How do you do that? How can you muster that kind of courage and faith? I'll tell you what you cannot do. The answer is not try harder. Grip your teeth and just be the kind of person who hands over their life to Christ. That will not work. You will end up frustrated. No, what we see here is it's when God reveals his love for us. In response to that, I say, God, I will love you in the way that you have loved me first. It's on your WhatsApp there, but please take these to your home. If you ever need two verses that are simple to remember and that capture the essence of the gospel, it's the two 3.16 passages of the New Testament. John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16 say the following. 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we have come to know love. Isn't that beautiful? It doesn't say, there's the path of love. Now love God and be faithful. No, it says, this is how you come to know love. What is it? 
that he laid down his life for us. And John 3, probably one of the most famous passages in the Bible. It says, for God, what loved the world in this way? That's so powerful. Do you want to understand the love of God? This is how he loves us. That he gave his one and only son so that everyone who might believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's only when that love melts my heart that I say, God, I'm so taken in by who you are. It's so breathtaking. It's so overwhelming that you would love me like that. My response to that is, God, take my whole life. Even this area that I'm so fearful of letting go of, of having changed, of having transformed, even if it means, God, you're going to speak a harsh word into that place. I let it go. I trust you. That's a relational word. And it's birthed in relationship. I trust you wholeheartedly. You know, I think of a friend of mine. We've known each other forever, but we are like the same person with absolutely opposite worldviews. And I'll never forget in our second year of university, I was praying fervently that this guy would meet Jesus, that he would transform his life. And I remember him sitting, he's sitting in his room, and he had had this emotional experience in a church. Emotionally, he felt so overwhelmed. And so he sits there and he tells me, I think I, I need to you know, serve Jesus and follow him. And I hear those words, and on the inside, I'm like, oh my word, this is crazy. This is about to happen. And I don't know what to say, so there's like an awkward moment of silence, and just before I can say something, some of you know how much I talk, you can't imagine there would be a moment like that, but I, I was at a loss for words, and he suddenly, after a couple of seconds of awkward silence, he, he jumps in and he says, but you know, I'm just thinking, what will it mean for my relationship with my girlfriend? The way that we engage sexually, what will it mean for the way that I think about this? What will it mean for the way that I want to do this with my life? What will... And suddenly my heart just sinks because I hear that. I hear not the consideration, I hear the negotiation going on. And you know what the reason for that was? Is emotional experiences are not the same as being truly overtaken by the love of God. I can make an emotional decision on a Sunday. And I can try my hardest on Monday to Saturday. But my life will be transformed when I understand that this is the way that God has loved me first. Respond to his revelation. And then the final thing. The last thing that we can learn from Mary's response. It's not just that she carefully considered what was being said and that she wholeheartedly gave herself and that she trusted God. But it's this final thing. It's that she embraced community. She embraced community. In this moment of confusion, and she doesn't know exactly how this is going to work, I'm all over the show. What does she do? She goes to a relative. She goes to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, under the power of the Holy Spirit, speaks over her life. There's a moment of connection, of community, of fellowship. And this so stirs the heart of Mary. This so encourages her that she actually bursts into a moment of worship. It's probably the most famous moment of worship in all of the Bible. Just the first sentence of that moment says this in Luke 146, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Friends, that is not natural. There is no experience or teaching or person or movement or brand that can do that to your heart. 
It's only when I am truly wrestling with God in faith and I take that into the place of community. It's in that place of fellowship, of walking an open path in the light with one another. Friends, can I challenge us? Some of us still think we can do this on our own. You are making a massive mistake. A massive mistake. Our faith is not a solitary one. It's a communal one. Our faith is not like the Western mindset. It's all about the individual. In this sense, it's not. It's, of, it's all of us together. If you are in that place, and I want to call us today to say, yes, let's carefully consider. Maybe there's a moment or a part of your life where you need to genuinely engage God. Use your mind. Doubt honestly. Maybe there is a place in your life where you need to say, God, I completely surrender to you. I wholeheartedly trust you. But here's what you need to do. You need to do that with someone. You need, it, you need to do that with some people. And so maybe there's a phone call that you need to make today, right after the rugby. Uh, maybe there is a coffee date that you need to organize. Maybe there's a community group that you need to join. Because I'm telling you, it's in the space of community that we are transformed and changed. And Mary says, I leave under, I mean, Elizabeth, is, she's speaking under the enlightenment of the Spirit. She doesn't understand fully what's being said here. I mean, she says, my Lord is the one. You're going to be so blessed if you trust him. And then she says, but my Lord's mother is speaking to me. That's a crazy thought. She's saying, the baby that's going to be born from your womb is the Lord that I speak of. That is an insane statement. But it's that kind of revelation that I can only tear apart and wrestle with in community. And she walks away. Worshipping God. And I promise you, many difficult seasons come after this for Mary. But it's that connection of the people of God that carries us through. And so to finish off this morning, guys, Mary was a nobody who is now known by everybody. You know why? Because she simply responded to the revelation of God. Our faith has never been one of trying harder, doing better. A good friend of ours, at one stage we... We were really into CrossFit and we loved that and we invited all of our friends to join us. And this friend would always rebuff us by saying, let me just first lose a couple of kilograms. Let me just get into shape and then I will come. <laughs> I always thought that's so stupid because the reason why you should come is so that you can do those things. Friends, our faith is not a fix yourself and then come present yourself faith. It's a God has revealed himself in the midst of my brokenness and I respond like Mary did. She encountered the walking, talking, living God. And I want to say to this day, that invitation stands. Let's pray. Jesus, I just simply ask this morning, God, as we close off this series of just gazing at your son, may we just be taken once again by the love and the grace and the truth that is found in Jesus. And may we, God, just respond from an earnest and authentic place and follow you in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.